So, as I say, the, uh, the title is, The Lord is My Shepherd, Does That Make Me a Sheep? And this, uh, this sermon was originally delivered in Lim um, in um, June 2015. And uh, given the loss of Colin's father-in-law, I thought it was appropriate. So imagine it's early, June 2015. So last Monday was a sad day at the Thomas Risley Church, as in the afternoon we met together with the family for the funeral of Jack Wilson, a very long-standing member of the church who died on Bank Holiday Monday at the age of 90. I took the afternoon off to play at the service, and it was a very emotional time. His two sons spoke with great passion and sense of loss, one actually standing next to the coffin, occasionally knocking on it, as though to make sure that his late father was listening to the particular anecdote he was telling. We sang two songs, one traditional hymn, another lively, at Jack's request, chorus. There was a reading, and like many funerals that I've been to, and perhaps you have too, that reading was Psalm 23. And as I sat there, I thought, but what does this mean for us today? What do these words mean? Is Psalm 23 simply something we say at funerals? Because, well, everyone seems to say it. Is it a bit like the Lord's Prayer, all the carol away in the manger, that if we don't know it by heart, we almost know it by heart? It's so familiar to us. And as a result, we never really think about it. Is it actually a good reading for such an occasion anyway? For some, Psalm 23 is less about the words and more about the poetry and the translation. So I'm going to ask for it to be read from four different translations, and we'll see how we go. So the first one is the one that's often used, which is the King James Version. Um, And who have we got for the King James Version? Ah, yes. Now, the King James Version, 1611 this, lots of these and thous. It is the authorized version, and we'll come on to that in a moment. Um, And this is what people often pick um, because they think it sounds nice. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Very familiar, very familiar words, and um, for many people, very, a very familiar translation of those. 
Um, we'll come on to that in a second. Um, so now we're going to try the Common English Bible. Now this was, um, this was very popular about 10 or 15 years ago. And it was designed to make it really easy to read and to read out in church. So who's got the really easy one to read? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all my days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. It fell out of favour a little bit because it kind of plays a little bit fast and loose with the original, but there we are. Okay, so now we're going to come on to um, Elaine's um, moment here. Um, so um, before the King James Bible, there was a guy called Tyndall who translated the Bible for the first time into English. At the time, um, the only people who were allowed really to read and understand the Bible were um, the priests in the churches, and they did, the um, monarch and everything did an awful lot to try and prevent people from ever getting hold of the English version, just in case they got some rather revolutionary ideas about what Jesus was saying. In fact, it was um, Tyndall who, made the, who developed this translation uh, was ultimately executed by strangulation, um, which is a pretty nasty way to go, and then burnt at the stake for heresy. Um, so, um, so paranoid were the authorities of the time for, uh, for an English translation. And so we're now going to have um, Elaine reading from the 1537 Bible. Um, which, which is a lot of fun, really. Um, and um, you, you, you may never misspell a word again once you see this, I tell you. The Lord is my shepherd. I can want nothing. He feedeth me in a green pasture and leadeth me to a fresh water. He quickeneth my soul and bringeth me forth in the way of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I should walk now in the valley of the shadow of death, yet I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy staff and thy sheep who comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me against mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and fillest my cup full. O let thy loving kindness and mercy follow me, all the days of my life, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can see she's a classic scholar, can't you? Um. (laughs) Right, and we might as well finish with the message. Um, Well, what can I say about the message? Anyway, Steve, let's, let's try the message. God, my shepherd, 
I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So you wouldn't kind of believe that they were all the same reading, would you? But um, they are. There are, I think we've established, a lot of translations of this famous psalm. But I wonder whether you noticed that there were some subtle differences between them. I'm going to look at the first four verses. I'd encourage you to try and look at this um, for the last two verses when you get home. So the Lord is my shepherd. It's very tempting to think of a shepherd in the same terms as the Victorians used, as Jesus, Jesus Christ, meek and mild. Perhaps like the cartoon, we see this kind of idealized version of the shepherd, a crook in hand, sheep smiling, skipping around the fields. If anyone's seen Shaun the Sheep, the movie, you'll know what I mean. But is that really what the Lord is like? No, he's more like a real farmer, a real shepherd, one that's out rescuing lambs, caring for lambs. If you want to know what being a sheep farmer is like, the most evocative description is by a poet called Ted Hughes. And I was going to play the recording of Ted Hughes's uh, Moortime Diary and then realized that we were quite close to lunch. But um, it is pretty gruesome. But just a moment, if the Lord is my shepherd, does that make me a sheep? Well, let's face it, sheep are lovely creatures, but not really high on the IQ rating. And they just go along with what everyone else does. I'm not sure any of us here would see ourselves as simply followers of the crowd. So that's not what the sheep means in this case. What it means is that we're cared for and loved by the shepherd, like a shepherd. It poses an interesting question, though. As Christians, we know that this means the love and care of a shepherd. But I began by saying this is often read at funerals, where many people only darken the door of a church for weddings, funerals, and perhaps the odd christening. This might be the only Bible passage that that person has heard since their niece's wedding five years ago. And what message does this single reading give them? Being a Christian is like being a sheep, following everyone else without really thinking. I'm not sure that's a very good witness. I want. Well, is it I shall not want, or I can want for nothing, or I lack nothing? In these consumerist times, to say I shall not want may give a very misleading impression. Who here has an Amazon wish list? Come on. Amazon wish list? Yeah, you mustn't sell. Yes. And for those who don't, who's ever written a list to Father Christmas? 
I shall not want. Might be thought of as, I shall not want, might be thought of as, I shall get everything that I want. What the psalmist is talking about here is not the Amazon wish list, but actually closer to the common English, that I lack nothing. I think it's also interesting to note that the King James Version was the authorized version, and there was more than a little politics in that translation. It was to be the official translation. And I think there's an example. I shall not want is telling the people, you shall not want. The Tyndall version is different. I can want for nothing. Our person sat in the funeral is perhaps already beginning to switch off. To start with, the readings told him that they're like sheep, and then they shall not want anything. Who are you to tell me whether I want a new car or not? Even if I lack nothing, might draw an unsympathetic smile from those who find themselves at a food bank as the kitchen cupboards are empty. He maketh me lie down. I've always had a problem with the imagery here. God makes me lie down. Maybe I want to. Maybe I don't. But he makes me lie down anyway. Again, we've got a bit of 17th century politics. You shall not want, and you will be made to lie down. Tyndall translates this as God feeds us in a green pasture and leads us to water. No wonder he was strangled. In the CEB, it becomes, he lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to rest for waters. I think that this is one of the reasons why this reading is often used in funerals. There's a tremendous sense of calm. We have a lovely, lush pasture. God is caring for us. And that is a very great comfort if you're bereaved. I remember crossing the road which is busy with traffic, and I said to a friend of mine, it's the quick and the dead here. You're either quick or you're dead. But is, actually, is that actually what the phrase means? Some of you may know that this is one of those cases, English, where two words which sound the same, or in this case are spelt the same, give us two phrases which kind of mean the same, but purely coincidentally. The quickening is the title of a horror film. But it also means the first movement of a baby during pregnancy. So the quickening is and was for some time almost the definition of the beginning of life. The quick and the dead is actually the alive and the dead. But if you're not quick crossing the road, then you will be dead. So it's a happy coincidence. Why am I talking about the quick and the dead? Well, because... In the Tyndall Bible, he quickeneth my soul, bringeth me forth in the ways of righteousness. God brings your soul to life, and as a result brings forth us a way of righteousness through the intervention of God. My soul is brought to life, and this changes my life. The message doesn't even talk about the soul. The the authorized version has its own spin. Our soul isn't ignited into new life. It's restored. 
And that change will bring us into a new life, a changed life. That sounds a little bit too much like a loss of control. So it becomes, and he will lead me. Who? Well, the church will lead me once I have been restored. So this becomes much less born again and much more, okay, you're back to normal now. And there's someone who will tell you what to do as a result. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Now the message translation does something really odd here. The valley of death becomes, even when the way goes through death valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's cook makes me feel secure. I wonder whether in a drive to make the translation so close to normal prose as possible, they really meant what they ended up saying, that our way goes through a very hot place and piece of desert. A quick geography lesson. Death Valley is a desert valley located in eastern California. It is the lowest, driest, and hottest area in North America, so it says on Wikipedia. Death Valley's Furnace Creek holds the record for the highest reliably reported air temperature in the world, 134 degrees Fahrenheit. So I'm not really sure that this is what was meant by the psalmist, particularly because the psalmist didn't even know Death Valley existed. Versus, however, another reason why the passage is read out, because it has the mention of death, which seems appropriate. But what do we mean by the valley of death? Perhaps the common English gives us a clue. The darkest valley, for me, it's an illustration of when we're frightened, when we feel, to use the lovely word, in peril. That doesn't have to be in the dark. It can feel as though we are surrounded by darkness. We may feel alone, but the psalmist says you're not alone. God is there, and the shepherd's crook and the staff give you the security that you need that God is there with you. For those of you who know the Footprints poem, where the writer says that when the person felt alone, there was one set of footprints as God was carrying them at these points. Well, that's what this bit means. So, what Psalm 23 means to us today as Christians is that God ignites our soul. He's there with us in times of peril. He cares for us deeply in a way that a sheep farmer cares for his sheep. But for the occasional visitor who knows nothing about Christianity, I think there's a danger they can hear. Christian is sheep. God tells me not to want things. He tells me to lie down even if I want to. And walking through Death Valley is much better if you have a walking stick. So next time you're at a funeral, don't assume that everyone hears Psalm 23 in the same way as you do. And if you get a chance, it might be worth sharing with others what it means to you and why Psalm 23 is a genuine comfort and that Christians aren't mindless sheep. Amen.